Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But, every, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. This is an interesting passage. What does it mean to be denied by Jesus? What does it mean to be denied by Jesus? This is not something of salvation. Salvation, we understand, is something much deeper. That, that this is not something that we can have one moment and lose another, and regain it and lose it. This is something that is fixed. It would be a terrible thing if we could lose our salvation because of a bad thought or something. My child is my child. And something that I've said to all of my children many times is that you will always be my child. And that cannot change. You will always be my child. And that cannot change. I want them to understand that this is not something that they will ever lose. They will always be my child. And for this, because they are my child, I will always love them. doesn't mean I approve of everything that they do, but I will always love them. They will never fall out of my love because they are my child. This is what the Scriptures display to us. So this is not something we lose, but it's something where, where He says to us, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. What does it mean to confess him? So about, I'll tell you from my own life. But, you know, I, I shared the Lord with many, many people and I remember there came a point where different people had different ideas about what I believed and who I was. and Was I a Jew? Was I a Christian? What does that all mean? You know, this is a complex question. And, and so it was about uh, 12 or 13 years ago that I wrote that personal statement and I put it right up on my website. And I said, you know, here it is. And I wrote this statement. And that was like a defining point in my life, drawing a line in the sand, that now everybody knew they could go there and they could read my personal statement of my coming to faith, my personal statement of who I was, that I was born and raised a Jew and I'd come to believe that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Jesus was the Son of God. And explain that and then talk about the things that are important to me with my relationship with God. And, and uh, um, so there, this, was, this was a revelation to the scientific community as people that didn't know me that well started to read this because it was right there up on my website. And words started to propagate. And the great thing about it was that now I was held accountable. Now, everybody knew, everybody was watching me, and I was held accountable. Not that I was perfect, not at all, but I knew that everybody knew. And remember, Watchman Nee says, until the people know, they will not hold us accountable. And they ought to hold us accountable for our actions, for our words. That this, is, this was a defining moment. And many in the scientific community, I could even see them, that they kind of looked at me differently because of what I had put up there. They'd looked at me differently, and, and uh, you know, they wondered, why would somebody go ahead and do this? Why would somebody with such a promising career go up and expose themselves like this? But I have never regretted it. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. It's almost as if 
we don't have Jesus as much pulling for us. Saying, Father, look, bless that guy. You know, we, we, it's like we lose this fan in Jesus. And the times in my life that I regret most, and I have regrets in life, in my Christian life, the times in life that I regret most are never when I look back and I've spoken boldly for the Lord. Even when people have come against me and things have happened because I've spoken of the Lord, I never look back and regret those moments. But I can tell you, I remember very clearly the times of regret, because of times of regret that I have, where I didn't testify, and I, I should have. I'll give you an instance. I was once out to dinner with, with some professors at another university. I'd been invited to that university to speak. And there were two professors there at dinner, and, and this was about 15 years ago. 16 years ago. They didn't know anything about my faith. You know, they just assumed that I was like most scientists and pretty, pretty devoid of any faith. And they started talking about Christians and just you know, how much they were messing up the country with all their views. And I remember thinking, I really have got to say something. But they were just you know, really excited about this conversation because the two had hit it off at dinner, and I was there with them. I was the guest, and those were two professors, and they were going on, and I never spoke up. And to this day, that is my regret, that I didn't say, oh, interestingly enough, you could call me an evangelical Christian. That's certainly what I believe. I evangelize. So I guess if that's what an evangelical is, that's me. I should have said that. And I would be much happier about that. And had I said it, I probably wouldn't even remember the occasion. Because I'd have been fine with it. I remember the occasion because I never spoke up. My greatest failures as a believer that I feel are because I didn't testify of Christ. Because I didn't speak up of Him. That I could have come to the defense of my Jesus and spoken highly of Him, and say, what is it about Jesus that troubles you? Yes, Christians do lots of things, and if it weren't for Christians' behavior, there would be many more Christians. <laughs> but what is it about my Jesus that troubles you? What has He done to you? What has He taught that troubles you? I could have said something to testify of my Jesus. Those are my greatest regrets. Jesus says in verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Those are amazing words. I once, once a man came to my office, and I just, he was a Christian man, and I just started speaking those words to him. We sat down, and he was a Christian man, and, and uh, uh, I said to him, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. I said, who do you think said that? I said, I don't know. Osama bin Laden? This was his reply. I said, no, it is written somewhere. He says, uh, the Book of Mormon? I said, no. 
These are very unusual words. We don't normally think of Jesus speaking something like this. Because remember when he was born, what the angels cried out? Uh, uh, you know, peace and goodwill toward men. How does this fit into this? Jesus, I didn't come to bring peace. Well, what, were the angels wrong? Remember, this is after the unpardonable sin. Had Israel opened their hearts to him, there would have been great peace that had followed. But when they denied him, Jesus is now speaking what's going to happen in life. So he's warning them, your own family will turn against you. And if you've ever seen Jews come to the Lord, you will see in many instances, their own families come against them. And the more devout the Jewish family is, the harder it is on that individual when they come to Jesus. It's not at all unusual for them to, to uh, have funerals, have mock funerals for the person and say, this, this child is dead. This child of mine is no longer alive. And I have assured my children that no matter what they ultimately choose for their own faith, I will always love them. Because that can't change. But you look in many Jewish families, they will have a mock funeral, they, will, they have this tradition of turning around the mirrors in the home, which is, is just something of, and, and, and they, they sit shiva, which is this, this uh, mourning time that you have when a person has died. Uh, and, and thankfully for me, my family as a Jewish family was a very secular Jewish family. So, so it, it wasn't nearly as rough on me. But uh, this certainly happens. But look at what Jesus says. He says that, that, uh, um, that there is going to be a setting against families. There are Gentile families, people who are not Jews who come to the Lord, and their families are really concerned, or they're, they're okay, all right, you can be a Christian, but you don't have to be a fanatic, you know. You don't have to go to the mission field, you know. Just keep quiet about it. My family had told me that many times. Just, just keep quiet about it. You know, the typical young person thing. The more you tell me to keep quiet, the more I'm going to shout about this. And, and uh, then he goes on to say, he says, he, he says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. These interesting words. Well, first of all, think of, uh, of the presupposition there. He who loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. You mean there is a way that I could be worthy of you? I mean, that's the more amazing thing. That you would even think that there's a moment that I could be worthy of Jesus. He makes us worthy. He makes us worthy. His blood washes us clean and makes us worthy of Him. But he says, if you love your mother or father more than me, you're not worthy of me. That means that as I'm to honor my mother and father, and I do, and even to this day, every Sunday morning we speak, because I love them. I enjoy my parents. And I honor my parents. But when it comes to serving Christ, Jesus comes first. Jesus comes first. That is the word. If you love mother or father more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you love son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. This is what I love to tell to Christian parents. When I speak in the church to lots of parents, I remind them of this. If you love son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. I always pray over my children's picture when I get up 
from my prayer time and I say, Lord, send them wherever you will send them and I will not stand in the way. Because the biggest hindrance to Christian missions is Christian parents. It is not the devil. It is Christian parents. They don't want their children going in a place that is far away, dangerous. I'll tell you, it's more dangerous in Houston on the highways than many places on the mission field. Just statistically. It's more dangerous. It was more dangerous for my daughter to live in Houston than it is for her to live in Jerusalem, Israel. You say, how can that be? Well, because every weekend she would jump out of an airplane when she lived in Houston because she was a skydiver. And, you know, Shireen and I were like, uh, you know, we really are not excited about your doing this. And the more she would see that we were not excited about it, the more she just did it. I mean, she just loved it. She was an evangelist for skydiving. She would get her friends to go. And, and because if you could get two friends to go and to pay, you get, go free. So, you, so, so if you can bring two friends who are paying, the, you, you get to go free. And so it's, it's like $150 a jump. You know, because they got to take you up in an airplane, you're renting the parachute. So it's safer for her to be there. But I don't want to stand in the way. And the other thing is, because Christian parents are selfish. They're selfish. They want their children growing up near them so that they can play with the grandchildren and be grandma and grandpa and do all the things that grandparents can do. And if you have that, that's wonderful. But it's because of selfishness. What does that have to do with anything? Let them go. Let them blossom. Very often when a Christian parent holds a child back from the mission field, they have stifled the growth, the, the, the growth of that child in a spiritual sense. Had they gone, it would have been much better for them. Children that grow up on the mission field often do much, much better. They often do much better because there's not all these distractions that come that we have here in, this, in, in, in the world that, that's around us. Because when your kids live here in Houston and they go to rich Christian schools, they expect a car. I mean, they expect all of this. One day my daughter said to me that she wanted a car. She was the only person in her high school who didn't have a car. I, I found that that was, that was a little hard to believe, but that was the explanation. She was the only one. And then I identified the daughter of, of uh, one, one uh, missionary who was attending that school. I said, does so-and-so have a car? Well, she's the only other one that doesn't have a car. And then I said, Sabrina, I can't afford another car. She said, get a second job. So, this is brilliant. I mean, you're an amazing child. Just think of all these great things. Um, but you see, there's, there's these amazing expectations that come. You get them on the mission field and they don't have these expectations. This is a fine thing. Let them go. Let them go. Let them go on the mission field. And if your parents honor them, but when it comes to following Jesus, making a decision for Christ, I mean, my parents would much have preferred that I never spoke about Jesus, that I didn't do this. I remember my, my mother being in, the, in, in a church service, the first church service I brought her to, and I think I've told you this story before, she was just weeping. And after the service, I said, you know, you, you were really touched by the service. And she says, no, I wasn't touched by the service. I said, well, you were weeping. She says, I'm weeping for you. Because you're here on a Sunday morning. I said, well, where should I be? She says, like, how about on the beach like any other normal human being? And I can understand her perspective. I mean, to an unbeliever, it makes, you know, this is crazy. 
that a young man should spend Sunday morning on a nice day in a church building, you know, singing a bunch of songs and, and speaking great things about Jesus? Now, she's come to the Lord since then. But at the time, I can understand, but I still had to follow Jesus. He says, if you love them more than me, you're not worthy of me. Remember this, when you have children and you love them and they're just wonderful and you want to hold on to them, remember, you're bringing them up to release them to the Lord's work. This is a training time, but you must let them go for the Lord's work. You must let them go for the Lord's work. He says, if you love them more than me, you're not worthy of me. Then he says, he who does not take up his cross, he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. If you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. Again, the presupposition is that somehow we could be worthy of him. There are going to be trials that will come just because you're a believer. And if you skirt those and step aside from those and step aside from the challenges that come, You're not worthy of me. I mean, Jesus speaks really directly. He says, if you don't pick up your cross and follow me, there are experiences that you will have. Somebody is going to call you to teach a Bible study somewhere, and you're like, "Uh, no, not me. You know, I'm really, really busy. I'm more busy than all the other students on this campus. All of them. That's how busy I am. If you knew how busy I was, you wouldn't be calling on me for this. If you don't take up your cross and follow Him, you're not worthy of Him. I mean, this is serious business. How much more directly would you like Jesus to speak? You have to rise up. You're not a freshman anymore, maybe. (laughs) Rise up and start walking in something where you take some of the role. Where you're in that campus group and you don't just go there to Put your butt in a chair and to listen to everybody else. Where you go there and you serve. You do something to serve. You do something that exercises your faith. That causes you to have to reach out and to do something difficult. You think it's easy to come up and just share for seven minutes? It is not. It is not. You think it's easy to teach a Bible study? It is not. If you're going to do this right, it is not. If you just do it haphazardly and you just take, you know, the the little Baptist convention book, and just read whatever it says and say, yeah, I read it, now let's discuss this. No, if you pour yourself out over the Scriptures so that you read that portion every day that week and you say, Father, speak to me from this. Bring to me a message. Speak to me. That costs something. That pulls something out of you as you pour into the lives of others. Remember Jesus said, somebody here touched me. I know it because power went out of me. You start ministering to people, power is drawn out of you. And you can receive more than that back from the Lord if you will go to Him. But it's different than the way of just typically reading from a little thing and saying, let's discuss. It is pouring your heart out saying, Father, speak to me from the Scriptures so that I would have something to share. Father, speak to me so that I can go and share with this individual so that I would have something of you to give to them. Give me a verse as I read from the Bible this morning. Father, I am exhausted, but I am rising up this morning to read your word because the blessing comes by daily meditation on your word. That is the promise of Scripture. That costs something from my life. 
That means I can't just roll out of bed without even combing my hair and just go down to the servery and eat and, you know, walk in my flip-flops to class and think I'm doing some great work that everybody should respect me because I'm doing a great work here, like Nehemiah, and I can't stop. No, you get yourself up, you wash up, you comb your hair, you read the Scriptures, you spend time in the morning in the Word of God. You are not a child anymore. You wake up and you start walking in these things. You walk mature in Christ and you will be blessed. He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, Jesus said. He calls us to something. You're not a child anymore. You walk in this. There are people who look to you. You are the people that fellow students will be looking to for help. You are the people that needs to speak something other than good luck. No, you have to speak something of the Word of God in their lives. Something of the Scriptures. You leave something there. Speak a word of encouragement. You see a student sitting alone in the servery there. You see a student sitting alone. Go and sit with them. Yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of hard. You know, i got all my friends over there. Go and sit with the person sitting alone. I've done it many, many times. Just find the person sitting alone. Say, do you mind if I sit here? Generally, they're not going to say, yeah, I mind. So you sit with them. You know who they are. You know who gets food and is too embarrassed to even sit alone down there and eat. And they always just take the the food to their room. You know who they are. Just set a bead on them and go and befriend them. You make this effort. Jesus reached out to you. He reached out to me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Unless you take up your cross and follow Him, you're not worthy of Him. That means that something is a burden. It's a cross on my back. It is a burden to carry. We are carrying the burden of Him who gave Himself for us. That is the burden that we carry. And we must reach out to those who are hurting. You know, there are students around you, around you, that live around you, that are on the verge of suicide. There are. You see who is just taking the food and going alone. You see those who are struggling. And go and make an effort. Just say, you know, my name is whatever your name is. And just go and meet them. Just say, you know, would you go with me to a meeting on Friday night, to the the Sagape meeting? I'd just like you to go with me. And just say, I'll meet you at your room and you just go with me. Don't expect them to get there on their own. You bring them. Or you bring them to church, or just bring them to a meeting, or just say, can I meet with you? Can I just, the two of us talk, and just open up the Scriptures and begin to teach them. Take something of yourself. And then he says, he who has found his life will lose it, but he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. You find your life, you will lose it. I see this all the time, all the time, people finding their lives. I was once talking to this Christian guy in the... uh, in the locker room, and, and I asked him what he wanted to do. He says, well, you know, I want to, I want to uh, make a lot of money so that I can, I can uh, do the things that are important to me in life. Just money is a means to an end, so then I don't have to worry about that, and then I can uh, you know, have the car I want and the house I want. And I'm thinking, you are so wrong. You are so wrong. You are going to lose your life. So many people try to get themselves set up 
with their ranch, with their, you know, just let me get set up so that I can retire. I have no desire to retire. I mean, I, I have to live for today. I'm, a, I'm on a mission. We need to be on a mission. If you find your life, you're going to lose it. If you find your life, you're going to lose it. If everything is feed me, give me, I want, so I'm happy. Everyone who is in that position, who is always seeking to make themselves happy, is miserable. All of those people are miserable. And then the others that pour out their lives for other people are always happy. My wife wakes up in the morning and after her quiet time, she makes a list of all the people she's going to do things for that day. It's just amazing. And my wife is always happy. She's always happy. You would think that, that no, she, she wouldn't be happy because she's pouring out happiness into everyone else's life. That makes her happy. This is her life. I see it. I see it. And I see other people, they do nothing for anyone except for themselves. You would think that they should be the happiest people because everything is for themselves, but they're the most miserable. You find your life, you will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake, will gain it. I go on these speaking trips to talk about Jesus. I was just, just gone again on, on uh, Wednesday, speaking to this group in San Antonio. Then I you know, wake up early in the morning, catch the flight back to teach Thursday morning in my class. Why do I do this? For Him who gave Himself for me, it is my honor. My honor. These people invite me. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming and doing this. You think I do this for the honorarium? I do not. I don't take the honoraria. This is my service to Christ. My service to Him. It is my honor. I tell them, this is my honor to serve Him, to speak of Him who gave Himself for me. Thank you for inviting me. It's my honor to serve Him. If He has gifted me in something, I want to pour that out. I want to pour it out for Him. And we are happier this way. And the other thing, is Jesus said, and he who serves me, in John chapter 12, the Father will honor him. The best thing for your family, for your future family, for your future marriage, for your future career, is pour yourself out in service to him. He will bless your family, he will bless your career. Those who serve me, the Father will honor him, Jesus said in John chapter 12. Can you imagine? Father, the creator of the universe, is looking down and saying, look, He's serving my son. In the name of my son, she is serving. Bless them. Bless them. Bring the right spouse in their life. Give them children with a heart for you. Give them a good home. Give them a career that they would love. This is God looking out for you. If you take up your cross and follow him, you will find your life. This is life indeed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, I pray for these young people that they would love you more than anyone else. Father, I pray that they would walk in all that you have for them. Father, let them walk in what you have for them. Father, I pray that they would not find their life and so lose it, but that they would lose their lives for your sake and so find it. Father, I pray that they would expand their ministries and take up their crosses and carry the burden of Jesus. Father, do this in their lives.
that they may have good lives. And I commit them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.